Good morning and welcome to the Be Unconventional podcast. I'm your host, Rakita Harper, and I'm here to help you win this week. So let's dive right in. Hello, everyone, and happy Monday. We're in season three of the Be Unconventional podcast, and today is episode two of the season. And I have a strong feeling that many of you need to be reminded of the power of your prayers, the effects of your praise, and the benefits of your worship. There are questions you need answered. There are decisions you need wisdom for. And there are situations you need to change. And oftentimes, we're toiling, stressing ourselves out, overwhelmed with anxiety and fear, all because we're trying to find the answers to life questions from people who have no relationship with God. We're seeking the world's wisdom for decisions we have to make. And we're accepting situations and circumstances that the enemy presents to us instead of using our authority to change them. And all of this we're doing because somehow with maybe distractions and discouragements, we've forgotten the power of our prayers, the effects of our praise and the benefits of our worship. So how powerful is prayer? Prayer isn't just a religious act or something we get to check off our to-do list. No, prayer is our communication with the Father. For the New Testament believer, that's you and me, we no longer have to go to priests and sacrifice lambs and bulls when we've done wrong or when we need something from God. Look, we can just go straight to the source of our help, straight to the source of our strength, straight to the source of our life. And we do this through prayer. There's a right and wrong way to pray, though, which may be why. There are times we're not experiencing the power in our prayers or why we feel like our prayers aren't being heard. And so I think it's important to know that before we go into this segment about prayer and our communication with the father, we need to check our perception of the father. Yeah, because it's important to understand, number one, God is not mad at you. Number two, he's no longer holding your sins against you. And a lot of times we approach God the same way they did in the Old Testament, full of uh, fear and I would say fright more, you know, more than a holy reverence, that kind of fear, more of like frightened or afraid of God. Um, it was like, you've probably heard me say it like this before, but it was like big God, little me, superior God, inferior me. And it's no longer like that anymore. So we don't have to approach God that way. Um, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed us to the word of reconciliation. So basically God's wrath and justice was satisfied through Jesus. He's not angry. The scripture says in 1 John 2, 2, and he is the propitiation. I cannot say that word. He is the propitiation <laughs> for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what does this mean? Simply put, he loves you. 
He loved the entire world so much that he gave Jesus as the propitiation for our sins, that he satisfied his judgment and wrath through Jesus Christ, reconciling us back unto himself. That's one of the perceptions of God that we really need to understand if we're going to go into prayer or communication with God. So we need to understand God's judgment in the Old Testament was released on individuals and nations. And in the New Testament, his judgment was poured out on Jesus, making Jesus our mediator, our intercessor. Now, a lot of people teach on intercessory prayer. I believe that we're all called to intercede on behalf of others but not so much in the way that we've all been taught either. See, when we look at Old Testament intercession, it was always somebody that God was using to speak on behalf or advocate on behalf of a people or a person so that God's wrath and judgment wouldn't be poured out on them. And that's what a lot of us do. We we go in our prayer closet, we shut ourselves in and, you know, we got to quote unquote stand in the gap to make sure that God don't pour his wrath and judgment out on people. And that's just not our place anymore. Not in the, as a new Testament believer, it's not. Okay. So Jesus has done that. Now Jesus has taken that place. Um, We no longer have to beg and plead God to withhold judgment or, you know, not pour his wrath out. Um, You know, uh, nobody's fate is resting on our intercession, <laughs> okay? That's just, we can rid ourselves from the responsibility of feeling like, um, you know, somebody's gonna die in their sin if we don't stand in the gap and all this kind of stuff. That just, I just need y'all to understand that. Like, Jesus is our mediator. He's our intercessor, okay? So, um, and I'm not saying don't intercede for people. I'm not saying there's no place in that. I'm just saying think about the motive behind the intercession. Okay, so we don't have to plead with God to withhold his judgment like Abraham interceded or how Moses interceded. Okay, now Jesus makes intercession on our behalf. Jesus is the difference between the Old and the New Testament. And because of Jesus, we approach God differently And because of Jesus, God responds to us differently. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I'll read that again. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And again, I am not saying we shouldn't intercede or pray for others. Don't misunderstand me, please. I am saying you are no one's mediator between them and God. Their fate is not dependent on you begging and pleading with God on their behalf. Jesus is advocating for them. Jesus is interceding on their behalf. Okay, and there's a better way to intercede. There's a better way to pray That's more powerful and more fruitful if we understand what covenant we're under and if we understand 
what Jesus has already done or what God has already done through Jesus. We don't have to persuade God to do anything for us. We don't have to persuade God to release his power. We don't have to yell and scream for our prayers to be powerful. Prayer is already powerful if it's the right way to pray. Because the right way to pray releases God's power. And I believe that the wrong way to pray can release the power of the devil. And you might say, well, Rakita, that's a little extreme. Well, no, the the devil knows when we don't know the word. (laughs) And so if we're not praying the word in context, then it sets Satan up to have an inroad into our lives. And it's, it's innocent on our part, but we really need to be paying attention to what we're saying in prayer. Okay, just like it's important for us to preach in context, we have to pray in context. And again, the way we approach God is different from how God was approached in the Old Testament. And so because of Jesus, we get to go directly to God. Okay, Um, think about James chapter four, verse three. It says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want you want only what will give you pleasure. That's the NLT version. Okay, the Passion Translation says, and if you ask, you won't receive it, for you ask with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. Okay, and so in the Passion Translation, that Greek word for corrupt motives is kakos, and it can be translated sick or sickly. And James is exhorting us not to pray sickly prayers. I mean... I look at it like this. Okay, let me just give you an example. Um, Oh, God, we need you to pour out your spirit. Well, he did that. He he did that. God, we're just asking uh, that that you would, you know, heal. (laughs) Um, Well, he provided healing through Christ Jesus already. Like sin, sickness and disease died on the cross. We get to receive healing through what Jesus already did. So, oh God, I need you to, uh, <laughs> we, a lot of times we pray prayers like asking God to trample over serpents and scorpions. And he's like, but I gave you the authority to do that. So think about it. We're a lot of times we're praying for things that God's already done. We're asking him to do something he's already done. Um, you know. If my husband comes back in the house from mowing the lawn and I say, oh, I need you to mow the lawn. He's going to be like, I did that already. He's not going to go back out there. You know, God, we just need you to save us. Well, if you if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're saved. He's not going to get back on the cross and die for you. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like we need to really think about what we're praying, how we're praying it. Right. And so that's why and we have to make sure that our motives are right. You know, what are we praying for exactly? And is it just going to benefit us? Is it just us fulfilling our selfish desires? Or is it going to benefit the kingdom? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God so that the things we need will be added unto us? So prayer is powerful, but it's how we're praying. It's what we're saying when we pray that makes all the difference. Okay. And I'm going to give you an example, too, of... um how powerful prayer is actually when you're praying the right things and according to the word of God, um, you know, I'm going to go into praise in a second, but praise and prayer, they really go hand in hand. 
But I was praying. I saw something about my husband that I thought, "Mm, he might need to surrender that thought or those feelings to the Lord. And I don't know if he has. But rather than going to him being his preacher, I decided to go to God in prayer. And when I went to God in prayer, I first gave thanks. I gave thanks to the Lord for my husband. I praised God for the favor that he's been showing my husband on his job and um, just in life in general. I'm seeing growth in my husband. So I'm thanking God for being the source of that growth. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to God and praising God for my husband, for what he's done in, through, with, and for my husband. And then I brought the issue to God. I said, God, you love my husband more than I do. And I believe that you're allowing me to see this so that I could be in prayer for him in agreement with you about who he is, not the person he thinks he is or the character that he's built over the years. But Lord, I believe you're allowing me to see this so that there can be some agreement with you about who he is and how he needs to see himself. And so I brought that up to the Lord. And then I declared that he will see himself the way God sees him, that he will be mindful of how he responds to the blessings of the Lord or how he responds to challenges that he faces. Right. I started decreeing and declaring uh, what what will happen by faith. And then I thanked God again. Thank you that it is done. Thank you, Lord. I appreciate that. Never said anything to my husband about it. And it was maybe a day or two. We were in conversation with a friend and he said, I just had this random thought about how I respond to challenges or something of that sort. And he was telling us how he was thinking and how the Lord dealt with him about how he was thinking about a situation. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh. That was real quick. My prayer was answered. How powerful is that when you go to God with a sincere heart, when you go to God, you know, uh, praying the right thing? You know, and and that was a form of intercession, but not with me as a responsible party for how it ended up. You get what I'm saying? I still made God the source. Um, So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Think about how you're praying. Think about the words you're saying when you're praying for yourself and for other people. Now, when it comes to praise, praise is always in order. Okay, I 100% believe that praise and we've heard this in church our whole lives praise confuses the enemy i'm telling you it does but what confuses the enemy more is when you praise god during difficult times when everything is going well when there's enough money in the bank account to do what you need to do get you know eat what you need to eat and pay all your bills it's so easy to praise god it's like it's so easy to just be happy and joyful and thank you Jesus hallelujah but oh when you ain't got enough money and when you don't know what you're gonna eat and when you don't know how you're gonna get from point a to point b that that moment right there 
when you're in that and you choose to say, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, give you praise. That is when the enemy is confused because he's brought everything he could to the table to discourage you, to distract you, to make you uncomfortable and to make you question God, to make you doubt. The enemy's done all that. That's his job. And when you choose to praise God anyway, through all of that, that is when he gets confused. Philippians chapter four, verse four says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He had to say it twice because he didn't know if you heard him the first time. Apostle Paul. Okay. And I'm going to read to you this passage of scripture from Acts, a, a very familiar passage of scripture that we've all heard. But when it comes to praise and the effects of praise, this scripture right here just amps me up every time. So I'm going to read to you. Um, ch- uh, let's see the book of Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to read through quickly verses 22 through 34. And it says a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prison fell off. Every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran down to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Verse 32, and they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at the, that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds Then he said, then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now, I'm getting kind of choked up reading that. Because I don't know how many of us could be near death. Okay, and still praise God, still find something good to say about God. And when they were in this situation, um, it says the other prisoners were listening to them. Can you imagine being in prison, accepting defeat, thinking that there's no hope? that this is how I'm going to die. This is how, this is it for me. My life is over. And you have, all of a sudden you hear praise 
hymns. You hear people thanking God, like thanking God, we in prison. What you mean? And the effects of their praise gave hope to other people. Not only did their praise give hope, but their praise prompted another person to seek the Lord and find salvation in him. That entire passage of scripture explains how effective praise is. And the Bible doesn't say they praise God so they could be released from prison. No, that, that wasn't just spiritual warfare. They were actually praising God because they loved God. And I believe they, they, they just understood the persecution that Jesus warned them about, right? You're going to be persecuted for my name's sake. Preaching the gospel, telling people about who I am and what I can do for them. That's going to get you persecuted. And they understood that. But they did what they were called to do anyway. Anyway. And so through the persecution, trials, tribulations, praise was in order. When we are going through persecutions, trials and tribulation, we have to remember praise is always in order. God didn't do that to them. He didn't put them in jail. And that's another thing we got to stop doing, glorifying persecution, glorifying being talked about and ridiculed and humiliated, and then saying that God did it. You know, the only reason I'm going through this is because God trying to stretch me. Uh, I mean, not really. Um, There's a stretching in persecution. I agree. The stretching comes in the form of how you respond to the persecution, though, right? The growth and maturity comes how you respond to persecution. It's not that he's doing this to get something out of you or to teach you a lesson. Like, that's the wrong perception of God. And so they understood what was going on. But because they loved God so much, they were true to who they were. They praised. And I loved how it says as they praised, you know, like I said, the other prisoners were listening. And this, to me is an example of the difference between having the right perception of God and the wrong perception of God. They were all in prison, but some of them had accepted this as their fate, right? Some of them in the prison saw nothing to praise God for. They had given up on life. They had nothing to live for. And you may be going through some things at this very moment. And there may be people around you who need to see the difference between accepting defeat and knowing Jesus. Because when you know Jesus, you know you have the victory. Paul and Silas praised God from victory, not trying to obtain victory, not trying, let me praise God so these prison doors can open. Let me praise God so these chains will break. No. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't that. They understood what happened when Jesus took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. They understood they already had the victory in spite of what it looks like. And in this passage of scripture, we also see that praise is contagious. People who were watching and listening uh, to them praise wanted to know what they knew. And people who are watching you, people who are listening to you praise, they want to know what you know. They want to be able to go through tough times and find hope. Y'all, revival broke out in the prison 
because of their praise, because of a praise from a pure heart of just thanksgiving to God. And uh, when we find in Galatians chapter five, verse 22, it says one of the fruit of the spirit is joy. If we have the Holy Spirit, we have joy. Do you think they felt joy in the dungeon? No, but they knew they had joy and they drew from that well of joy in order to release a praise. So whether we feel like it or not, we can choose to praise when we do this during bad times, our hearts change, our faith increases, and then we ourselves are more effective in what we're called to do. Philippians 4, 6 says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Passion Translation says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. The rest of the scripture says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. In other words, y'all, praise is a remedy for anxious thoughts. It literally brings peace that passes understanding. Well, let me say instead of bringing peace, let me say praise activates the fruit of peace that is already within you. Oh, man. Jesus demonstrated the right way to bring our request to God. And Andrew Womack describes it best to me in a way that's just so simple. He calls it the sandwich technique where we sandwich our requests between two slices of praise. We start with praise and we end with praise. Um, and he says, we can just look at how Jesus did it in the Lord's prayer. Matthew chapter six, verses nine through 13. He started by praising God, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he finished by praising God for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And that's the way to do it. Right. Then we have Psalms 100 verse four, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. We have to understand also that praise will change our focus from our problems to the problem solver. Let me say that one more time. That's tweetable. Praise will change our focus from the problems to the problem solver. I'm telling you. Praise is effective. It's so effective. And you can't have prayer without praise. You can't praise without praying. But you also have to throw worship in there. Now, there's benefits to worship too. When it comes to worship, though, we tend to limit it to a style of music. But worship is so much deeper than that. And we oftentimes use worship interchangeably with praise. And while they have similar meaning, worship is different from praise in that praise is thanking God for what he has done. Worship is more of adoration for who he is. And we can worship God with music and singing. The Bible tells us to praise God with instruments and singing. But worshiping the Lord can be done with our lifestyle. Right. Our works can be a form of worship to God. Now, we've learned in previous episodes that 
we don't work to get um, our faith in Jesus Christ um, produces good works. And so those good works are a form of worship to the Lord. Okay. And let's look at when Jesus approached the woman at the well. So when he, when he approached her, worship came up in their conversation. In John 4, verse 19, the woman says, Sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount uh, Gerizim? I don't know how to say that word, G-E-R-I-Z-I-M, where our ancestors worshiped. Here's Jesus's response in John chapter 4, verse 21. He says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Verse 22, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. Verse 23, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth, the father is looking for those who will worship him that way. John 4, 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what does it mean really to worship in spirit? Well, before salvation, our spirits were dead and upon receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our spirits were made new. The new creation the Bible describes is our born again spirits. And instead of worshiping from a physical place, we now get to worship him from a spiritual place, from our born again spirits. And the truth is worshiping God from the truth of who he is, his nature, his love towards us. And the Greek word for truth in this scripture is aletheia. And it means what is true in any manner under consideration. What is true in the things appertaining to God and the duties of man. So. Again, it goes back to our perception of God, what we believe about God. It's funny, Jesus said um, in that passage of scripture, he said, you Samaritans um, know very little about the one you worship. And we Jews know all about him. Um, what you know about him affects your worship. What you believe about God affects how you worship. But that woman was getting ready to know <laughs> the will of God, the love of God, the, the, the hope of God personified when she allowed Jesus to speak into her life when she received what he said and received um, his love for her by sparing her from judgment like her. She she was really about to know who God was through Jesus. And so I, I, I love how he paints this picture of worshiping from uh, from our spirit. Our spirits know all about him because our spirits our born again spirits are now one with him and we get to worship from that place it's not um 
just Legacy Church I get to worship or at just Karis Bible College that I get to worship. I worship him from the place of my spirit. In light of the truth of who he is, why he came, who I am in him and who he is in me. It changes the way we see our circumstances. There's so much peace that comes from that. And it's like we're now looking to Jesus, who the Bible says has become unto us our wisdom. Now we can get wisdom for the big decisions we have to make. We're minding our souls of who he is. Because here's what happens throughout life. The enemy's job is to steal, kill, and destroy. His job is to distract us from the truth, discourage us from our faith, and and just keep us bound in our past. That's That's just who he is. And a lot of times when we go through things, we start to magnify who the devil is more than we magnify who God is. Right? And then there are times that we start putting the devil's attributes onto God. And and that's all a part of the devil's plan too. Oh, but when we choose to go into prayer, praise, and worship, it transforms us. And there should be a lifestyle of this. There should be a lifestyle of turning to prayer, a lifestyle of turning to praise, a lifestyle of worship. You know, I the, the Greek word for worship, actually... Um, I cannot, I, y'all, I don't claim to know Greek. I'm just saying when I study these things, um, you know, I find Greek words. I ain't claiming to know Greek and I sure as heck ain't claiming to, that I know how to pronounce these words, but, um, proskuneo, proskuneo is the Greek word from worship. Um, in that passage of scripture with Jesus at the woman. Jesus and the woman at the well, which means to prostrate oneself in homage to um, reverence and adore. And so, again, we can do that by loving one another. We can do that by giving. We can do that by serving. Thinking of others before ourselves. Husbands, loving your wives as Christ loved the church is a form of worship to him. Wives, submitting to your husbands is a form of worship to God. Anything that is done from the spirit in truth is worship to God. So I just want to leave you guys with that today. I hope you're encouraged by that because like I said, I said in the very, very beginning that I had a strong feeling that many of you needed to be reminded of the power of your prayers, the effects of your praise and the benefits of your worship. And I hope you were reminded of that today. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that you put it to practice. Apply this to your life and see what happens. Allow me to pray for you. Lord, thank you for reminding us 
that our prayers are powerful, that our praise is effectual, and that there are benefits to our worship. Thank you for all that you have done for us, for all that you have given us. Thank you for providing for us the wisdom that we need when we need it. Thank you for giving us insight, witty inventions, new ideas, creativity to do the things that you've called us to do. Thank you for being awesome and amazing and wonderful. We thank you, Lord. And I ask you right now to go into the heart of each person listening to this podcast today and reveal to them your love, purpose, and plan for their lives. I pray against discouragement. I pray against distractions, trials, and tribulations that have overtaken them to the point to where they can't really see who you are in their lives. I pray for the scales to fall off of their eyes. I pray, Lord God, that you would send laborers to them to plant and water seeds of faith, hope. And I thank you that it's done in Jesus' name. Amen. And for those of you who are listening, who have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've not taken that step of faith. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I need you to know that it's by grace you are saved through your faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God. It's not a result of your works. It is a gift from God. Okay? And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved according to Romans chapter 10 verse 9. And so just repeat after me by faith these words. Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. And not only do I need your forgiveness, I want your forgiveness. I accept your death as the penalty for my sin. I recognize that your mercy and grace is a gift that you offer me because you love me and not based on anything that I have done. By faith, I receive you into my heart as the son of God and as savior and Lord of my life. So from now on, Jesus, help me live for you. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. And like I always say, just like that, welcome to the kingdom of God. Today is the first day of the best days of your new life. If today's episode was a blessing to you, or if you received Jesus into your heart, There are a few ways you can let me know so I and other listeners can celebrate with you. 
Number one, subscribe and leave a review. Number two, send me a private message on the Be Unconventional Instagram and Facebook socials. Or you can email me at rakitaharper at gmail.com. Number three, leave what I would like to call a victory voicemail by simply using the link in the bio of the Be Unconventional socials on Instagram and Facebook. Your voicemail may end up on an episode. And lastly, share with others. I'm your host, Rakita Harper, reminding you to be encouraged, be empowered, be inspired, but most importantly, be unconventional.